Today's podcast will come from Managing Your Anger by Neil T. Anderson and Rich Miller. This particular one is called Healing Your Anger Wounds. All this bitterness is not merely to be cleansed, but to be put away together. Why should anyone try to contain it or hold it in? Why keep the beast of anger around so as to have to watch it constantly? It is possible to banish it, to expel it, and drive it off to some mountain place. Uh, that is a quote by Chris Ostom, uh, circa 395. Charlotte Elliott of Brighton, of Brighton, England, was suffering from poor health and left her bitter toward God and life in general. A Swiss minister was having dinner with the Elliott family when Charlotte lost her temper and railed against God and the family in a violent outburst. Her embarrassed family left the room, and the minister stared at her across the table. You're tired of yourself, aren't you? he said. You're holding on to your hate and anger because you have nothing else in the world to cling to. Consequently, you have become sour, bitter, and resentful. What is your cure? Charlotte asked. The faith you are trying to despise, the, the minister said. As they talked, her heart softened, and she asked, if I wanted to become a Christian, what would I do? He replied, You would give yourself to God, just as you are now, with your fightings and fears, hates and loves, pride and shame. I would come to God just as I am. Is that right? Charlotte asked. Charlotte did be, uh, come to Christ that night. And years later, her brother, Reverend Henry Elliot, was raising funds for a school for the children of poor clergyman to help her brother charlotte wrote the following poem based on john three, uh, six thirty seven, the one who comes to me i will by no means cast out she wrote just as i am without one plea but that thy blood has shed, uh, was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee o lamb of god i come i come this chapter is about making some of the hardest but most life-transforming decisions in your life. Jesus came to set the captives free and bind up the brokenhearted. Are you willing to let Jesus set you free from your past and heal your damaged emotions? We hope you have already made the biggest decision in your life uh, to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of eternal life. If you have, then your soul is in union with God. Every believer is alive and free in Christ, but how many are living that way? All could if we let him finish the good work he has begun in us. We have previously discussed how to deal with our emotions by managing our thoughts and beliefs on a daily basis. But what about the post-traumas that have left us wounded, bitter, and discouraged? The critic may say, all that has taken care of after the cross, in a sense that is true, but it is an incomplete statement. It is more accurate to say all that God had to do for us to be completely free from our past was accomplished at the cross and by the resurrection of Jesus. Now it is time for us to repent and believe the gospel. All that was programmed into our minds in the past is still present in our memories. Deeply embedded lies from the from pa, uh, past traumas, traumas leave festering wounds and damaged emotions that are triggered by present events. 
Have you ever discussed an issue with some acquaintances and suddenly someone gets angry and walks off in a huff? You probably wondered, what did I say that caused the the reaction? You didn't know the person's history, but you obviously touched one of their hot buttons. It is almost impossible to be emotionally neutral about anything. If I discuss sexual abuse in a church setting, the emotional response on a scale from 1 to 10 would be from 2 to 10. It would be 2 if you have never been sexually abused and don't know anybody who has been, but you know it's wrong, so you have some feeling about it. If you had been recently abused sexually, you would be approaching 10 right then just because we brought up the subject. Bring up the topic of racism or uh, police brutality in a public setting and listen to the rhetoric. Strong feelings are evoked by the mere mention of the subjects. It would be positive feelings for those who have experienced the help and protection of the police, but negative feelings if you believed, rightly or wrongly, that you or your community are a victim of racial profiling. Suppose you you were terrorized by a neighborhood bully named Ralph when you were young. You haven't seen the brute in 20 years when a similar-looking stranger introduced himself by saying, Hi, I'm Ralph. Flashback. You might think that such an experience would have no effect on you years later, but I doubt that you would name your first male child Ralph. A fellow seminary student years later asked my forgiveness for the way he was responding to me. Actually, I hadn't noticed other than he didn't appear to be very friendly. He was aloof because I looked so much like his high school wrestling coach, whom he despised. Seeing me triggered painful memories of high school. Everybody has strong feelings about something. It is what we call a primary emotion, developed in the past by good and bad experiences and established beliefs. There can be positive emotions triggered by present-day events, the smell of candles, the sounds of music, and the sight of home can usher in good memories. There are also smells and sights and sounds that can trigger painful memories. In a seminary class, I asked the students to share their home experiences from ages 8 to 12. A female student who was sitting beside me became instantly angry, hit me on the shoulder and asked, why are you making us do this? She was the classic adult child of an alcoholic father. Her way of dealing with those painful memories was to avoid talking about her family. That is how most people deal with negative primary emotions. They avoid anything that would trigger them. There are subjects they don't want to talk about, places they don't want to go, movies they can't watch, and people they avoid. Your world can shut down if you have led, uh, if you have had a lot of trauma in your life. This is the basis for political correctness, which has run amok. When you don't want to offend anyone, everyone eventually loses because you can't have civil discourse about critical issues that matter. Colleges are considering safe zones where nothing of substance is talked about. Coddling to their oversensitive spirits will not free them from the, the past that, uh, nor prepare them for the future. Two critical choices have to be made in order to set captives free and heal wounds of the brokenhearted. First, we have to become a new creation in Christ. We are not just a product of our past, We are a product of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection. God doesn't fix our past. 
he sets us free from it. In the past, we processed events as natural people. Now, because of our new identity and position in Christ, we can reprocess them, but not as a victim. A missionary couple was sent home from the field because of a wife's mental and emotional health. They were asked to make an appointment with me before they went home. It was my privilege to help her find her identity and freedom in Christ. Then they went to her parents' very dysfunctional home. While there, they discovered that her father was carrying on a homosexual affair. After a disastrous visit, they made an appointment to see me. What should we do, they asked. We don't know if he has AIDS or even if mom knows about his affair. When they finished their story, I said, let's put this in perspective. First, aren't you glad that you discovered that about your father after you resolved your personal and spiritual conflicts this summer? She said, if I had gone straight home to that mess, I would not have been able to handle it, I continued. Knowing that about your father, what does that do to your heritage? She started to answer, and then a smile broke under her face, and she said, nothing, I'm a child of God. After a conference, I spoke the following Sunday morning at a host church. At the end of the service, the 33-year-old lady was sitting alone and looking very defeated. She said, I went to your conference, but I'm not free. I asked if she was married, and she said angrily, no, and I'm never going to be. She had recently become a Christian, so I suspected there was probably a lot of immorality in her past, and that was the case. I asked if she had dealt with those issues as she went through the steps, and she thought she had. I asked her, is there one defining moment in your life that stands out from all others? Yes, she said. That would be when I was five years old. I asked her to close her eyes and recall as best she could what had happened then. Her mother had just come home from the hospital with her third child. I said, picture in your mind the setting and tell me where you are, what you see. She saw her mom holding her younger brother and her dad cursing and yelling as he walked out of their lives. As she recalled the memory, the tears began to flow. I asked, what were you thinking at the time? She said, I have to be strong. I can't trust men. I will never get married. What else do you see in your memory? I asked. With closed eyes, she she said, Jesus, what's he saying to you? I asked. Nothing, she said. He just has his arms outstretched to me. Why don't you go to him, I said. The lies she believed as a result of that traumatic experience guided this tough, attractive, professional lady for years. I encouraged her to renounce them, which she did. Then I said, you have never had a real father. Can I be your father for a moment? She shrugged in agreement. I said, as your father... I want you to get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and like what you see. I would wish for you to have a husband who would love you for the rest of your life, and I would like you to bring me a grandchild that I could love as I love you. She had never had an adult male authority figure talk to her that way. It was a life-changing moment for her.